This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for Lego Life Week 2? How many adults personally went out this week and bought themselves a Lego set just for the fun of it? Come on. Oh, one? Come on, Emily. You and me. It's like we're just like tight. That's awesome. We're the only ones that hear from God, Emily. We're the only ones. Um, it's awesome. But for those that missed last week, I just want to do a quick, quick review so that for those that weren't here, will follow along with us. We talked about the difference between blocks and bricks, Lego bricks and blocks. And how many know that we probably played with both when we were growing up? Blocks were awesome, but they could only stack. Lego connects, and that's the key. And God has placed two key things, two key ideas in the heart of every human on the planet. It's one, number one is this, you're called to build. You're built to build. And number two, you're created to connect. That's God's design. It's within you. It's the very DNA that he's placed within you. And when we live disconnected, it's not good. Some people have come to me and said, you know, I'm just kind of getting tired of dealing with people, and I don't know how to deal with them. I said, oh, i got the perfect solution for you. Just go to the middle of the mall and hold a clipboard. Everyone stays away from you. So it's all good. It's all good. It's all good if that's what you got to do. All right. So when blocks stack... Okay? They're nearly near each other. That's sometimes what a lot of churches are like. They're just a whole bunch of people stacked together, but there's no connection. There's no life. But Legos form a connection and a bond that strengthens not only yourself, but it strengthens the building effort. How many want to build together? How many believe this morning that we're better together? Amen? We are better together. For those that don't know the history of Lego, it started in 1932 with a whole bunch of failed attempts at a whole bunch of different things. Uh, the guy who founded it, his name was, uh, was uh, I'm going to get it right here, Ole Kirk Christensen, who interestingly enough was a follower of Christ. Eh? Interesting. He was from Denmark, and so there was a lot of interesting things that came from that. The original Danish phrase that he used to describe Lego was the word legat, which literally means play well. How many wish our kids followed that instructions? Kids, play well together, no violence, nothing, nothing like that, all right? The Latin literally means to put together. And I think that's a perfect concept and, and idea and analogy of what Jesus wants to do with each and every church. It's not just about impact churches, it's about every church in this city. Can you imagine what, every, uh, what would happen in this city if every single church in this city was connected the way God designed us to be? strengthening each other, bringing life to each other, strengthening the bond, strengthening the foundation, and building something that is so incredible that the enemy would not even know what to do once he sees it. Do you believe that this morning? Well, there was another thing that was invented um, in the Lego company in 1953, and it was called the Lego mat. Remember? I had one when I was growing up. The Lego mat was this big base foundation that you could build everything on. How many know that without a strong foundation, nothing's going to work very well? Your foundation determines the longevity, the strength, and the size of what you can build. Just ask a contractor that. They would know that. Just ask those homes that you're probably living in right now where the foundation wasn't too strong, and you're seeing a whole bunch of wacky things happening with your house. Right? How many wish that you knew the builder so that you could have a little word and a couple other things with it, right? But I'm telling you this morning... God wants to build your foundation strong so that everything else will fit and everything else that's created and built by you and your life and those connected to you will be strong and will last forever. How many want that? 
How many sick and tired of a great idea that lasts all of three hours? Frustrating. God wants something that's built that will last forever. I want to play a little game with you this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, this is interactive. Okay, this is interactive. So we're going to play a little game this morning. Are you ready? Ryan, just me and you, man. We're going to play. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mention the name of a business or, you know, a brand name, a trademark. And I want you to answer in one word what that business, one word, not two, not three, one word what that business represents. In other words, what is that business founded upon? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Starbucks. Right. Toyota? Esso. Little Caesars. Sorry. I'm hungry. Anyhow. Okay. Rolex. Church. Ooh, good one. I've honestly, I've done this many times where you say church and they're like, uh, uh, God. God is the one word. God is the one point of connection. But what in the world is God's house built upon? Thank you for asking. I'm going to read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. I'm going to start by reading the Good News Translation. It's good news, so I figured I might as well read it. Uh, You two are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets, the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who holds the whole building together and makes it grow into a sacred temple dedicated to the Lord. That's awesome. In union with him, you two are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. It's amazing here. He talks about building you, and then he says being built together. And what I find interesting here is you can't separate the two. I've often said to people, you can't love God and not love his church. Because that's like loving the, the head without loving the body. But you get the whole body. Now, how many know that there's some imperfections on the body that are a little, ugh? Right? There's a lot of imperfections on certain bodies, you know what I'm saying? And the reality is, at the end of the day, you can't say, I love the head, which is Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible talks about, the head of the church being Jesus and the body being us. But you can't say, I love the head and I don't love the body. Because if the only thing you do is love the head, that's a little wacky. Can you imagine having a relationship with someone who only has their brain, just their head, their features, facial features? That's just as strange. In the Message Bible, I love how it puts it. Are you ready for this? It says, God is building a home. He's using us all. Irrespective of how we got there. In what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick. Stone by stone. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. I don't know about you, but I want to create a church where God really, really, really feels at home. Amen? That's one thing that has excited me about this church for eight plus years, is this is a place where God is welcome, and he can have his big, giant, lazy boy chair and enjoy every moment, because he is worshipped and he's adored in this place. Amen? In 1986, my, I think my mom's here. I thought I saw my mom. My mom, there she's back. 
1986, as my mom would remember, uh, for the first time in their life, they actually purchased a brand new home. And for those that have ever purchased a brand new home, it's quite the, literally, it's quite the, the journey from the moment that you actually sign the paperwork until the moment you actually move in. And there's a long process that happens. But the one thing that I've come to the realization of is during that entire time of, uh, you know, that period of time when we were signing the paperwork and we're getting ready to eventually months and months and months down the road move into this house, I can honestly say I remember what we were thinking about. As boys, we were remembering which bedroom would be ours. Because one was quite significantly larger than the other two. And of course, it went to the oldest. I'm not bitter. But anyhow, we were thinking about what colors we're going to paint the wall. My mom was thinking about, you know, how would the cupboards match the, the countertop and all of that stuff. It was awesome. We were dreaming about this home. We were, we were thinking about where all the furniture would go. But you know one thing that we never thought of once in the process of building a home? Not once. Are you ready for this? We never once gave a second of our day to think about the slab of concrete that the house was on. Yet God says it's the most important part. The foundation. The footings. It's the most important part. I don't know about you, but foundations are never a featured article in in House and Home magazine. (laughs) At least not that that I've checked. I mean, I'm not a regular subscriber to that magazine. I don't think it would help me in my talent base at all. Um, But foundations are never, ever the featured article in House and Home magazine. Yet it is the foundation that determines the longevity and the strength of a home. The foundation is what determines how tall a building can be. How many are thankful that One World Trade Center, which is now up in Manhattan, lower Manhattan right now, has a much deeper foundation than your bungalow? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I'm very thankful. So here's a question for you this morning. What are you built upon? I can ask another one. Who are you built upon? I don't know about you, but I want to be built upon someone who's unchanging. Because everything about our culture is changing. Everything about what we like, our interests, those things that grab our attention, that 15 seconds of fame, which used to be 15 minutes of fame, is now 15 seconds of fame. Soon, and probably about 10 years, to be 15 milliseconds of fame, because that's about all people are getting. Just little Snapchat, little things. Poof, poof, poof. It's everywhere. But for us, we need to build our foundation on somebody that is unchanging. Why? Well, look at ourselves. We're changeable. Look at our bank account. It's changeable. Look at our health. It's changeable. Look at our success, our career. Well, it's changeable. We could lose our job tomorrow in hopes that we can find something else a couple weeks from now. It's changeable. Our friends. They may unfriend you by the end of today. You know, it just could happen. It just could happen. They may not follow you on Twitter no more. So it's changeable. But we have to build on something that is solid, that is immovable, and unchangeable. Ephesians 2, verse 20 to 22. I'm going to read it in a different version. The New International Version, it says this, built on the foundation of the apostles 
and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He is talking about a foundation that is so secure, so unchangeable, so immovable, so solid, that it doesn't matter what goes around you, it'll be completely unshaken. How many want to be unshakable? In the times of despair and in the times of circumstances that are not going your way, how many want to be unshakable? How many want your foundations to go even further down? You know, I know I've shared this story before, but it's such a cool little thing. In, in Florida, uh, Florida citrus owners, uh, farmers, they actually pray for a harsh winter. They love when hurricane season comes. Because the only thing that happens in the natural is that the, the orange trees, their roots go further, further down in order to protect themselves from the, the elements that are above the ground. And you know what happens? Their fruit is sweeter. Deeper the roots, sweeter the fruit. Amen? Jesus actually talked about this concept. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Some of you may have heard this story. It's talking about the wise and foolish builders. Kind of appropriate, eh? Master builders. The wise and foolish master builders. Here we go. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Puts them into practice. How many know that our children sometimes hear every word we say? And don't put any of them into practice. Oh, hey, Caleb, how's it going, dude? Good, good, good. Where's Josiah? I can't pick on him today. Oh, you're over there. I'm going to pick on you later. So look out. All right. All right. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Kind of sounds like our life sometimes, eh? Okay. But it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock, the rock being Jesus Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Hmm. You have to build on something solid, something immovable, something unchanging. Peter described this in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you this morning. It says in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 12, just to give context for those that maybe not know the story, Jesus had rose again off the, the earth. He literally resurrected and, and ascended to heaven right before their very eyes. But the last thing Jesus said to them was, I want you to go wait in this upper room. I want you to wait there. And I want you to pray. And I want you to seek my face. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. And when he shows up, you're going to know it. So you don't have to ask any questions. You're just going to know. And they're like, well, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. So how will we know? He's like, boys, it's okay. You'll know. Think about that for a second. You're placed into a situation where you have no clue what's coming. You have no clue what's coming next. Yet God says, the Holy Spirit's coming, and you'll know who he is. So don't worry about it. It's almost like online dating. Kidding. <laughs> okay. Not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, you know what I'm saying? Somebody shows up and you're like, whoa. Holy Spirit shows up. 
empowers the disciples, tongues of fire land on their heads, and they, the Bible says they go out with such boldness from that room that 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. That's a good sermon. I don't know about you, but Peter preached the best sermon you could ever possibly preach under the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people come to Christ. So he's get, he gets you know, before these Pharisees and these religious leaders, and this is what he says to them as a response to what just happened the last 24 hours. Are you ready? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, started pretty good, so he's starting well, this is good. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, if you're calling me on the carpet because I was nice to somebody, you've got a problem. That's basically what he's saying. Okay? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel... He wasn't limiting it to them. He was like on a megaphone saying, and everyone within the sound of my voice, listen up. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. That's a great way to start. (laughs) But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders, foolish builders, rejected. But he's now become the chief cornerstone. And he goes on and he says, just in case you're, wanna, you're gonna miss it here, I wanna make something abundantly clear. Salvation in God is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. No other name. No other foundation. Because every other foundation is not solid, is not immovable, and is changing. But there's only one that is solid, that is immovable, and is unchanging forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and it never stops. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. So what foundation do you have? Is your foundation... Chasing things that will never satisfy. As I've said before, keeping up with the Joneses, and the Joneses are people you don't even like. Is your foundation comparing ourselves to someone else? Is our foundation what others think of us? Is our foundation success in our career? I don't know about you, but there's, that's no way to live your life. I've tried that. It's awful. I tried that. And you know where it got me? Nowhere. And then I surrendered my life to Christ. And you know where it got me? The most beautiful woman on the face of the planet. (sighs) And a whole bunch of other things. That's awesome. The point is this, is I tried it without. It doesn't work. The most unsatisfied, frustrated period of, of time in my life. Because I tried to figure it out on my own. And then the moment at 22 years of age where I said, yes, God, I can't do this anymore. God, you be my foundation. You be everything. You be that solid, immovable, unchangeable person, rock in my life. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. I don't about you, but this room right now is filled with people that tried the other, tried Jesus, and there's no going back. You know what I'm saying? Listen to this, 1 Peter chapter 2. You are coming to Christ, 
who was the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Another version says, will never be ashamed. Will never be ashamed. Yes, you who would trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rocks that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. Hear the word and put it into practice. Hear the word and put it into practice, right? So they meet the fate that was planned for them. But verse 9, I love this, but you are not like that. You're not like that. You are not like that. I don't care what the enemy tries to tell you. You're not like that. He says, well, you, don't, you didn't see what I did last night. It's okay. Today's a new day. Repent. Make it right. Deal with it. If you have to go to somebody and make it right, make it right and have a new day today. The only one that wants to live, um, cause you to live in your past and live in condemnation is the enemy. God doesn't. God looks at you and says, man, I got a great hope and a great future for you. Just leave the past. Deal with the past. Get healed from the past. But move on. Quick down, quick up, right? But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are chosen by God. From the beginning of the foundations of the world, you were chosen by God. Repeat after me. Are you ready? I'm God's favorite. Some of you said it like you didn't really believe it. I'm convinced that everyone's his favorite. That's just how it is. Because he loves you. You are his chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And listen to this. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. Once you had no identity as a people. Can I say this morning that when your identity is in things that are changeable, you really have no identity at all? Because identity is not based upon something that changes all the time. Identity is only based on something that's constant. Because if identity is based on something that is not constant, then guess what? This is what your life is going to be like for the rest of your life. How many really want to have that merry-go-round for the rest of your life? I don't. That was me at one point in my life. I said, no, I'm sick of that. I'm not doing that. But think, think about this for a, for a second. Your identity is directly related to how you relate to God. If you have the right foundation, God, you have the right identity. It's that simple. It's not confusing. Remember that Ephesians 2.20, it literally says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ, who's the chief cornerstone. Guess who the prophets were? Well, the prophets were people that spoke God's word to his people. What were they doing? They were building people up into the truth of God's word. They prophesied of a coming Messiah. You want to talk about a really, really crazy uh, mathematical probability? 330 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ. 152 happened in six hours while Jesus was on the cross. You figure the probability of that and get back to me on whether that was Christ or not. Just so you know, I've done the math. It's in the bazillions. I know that's not a word, but I made it up. 
but it's true. It's in the bazillion. It's crazy. They gave words of correction. Why? In order to get rid of mixture and help people build on the right foundation. How many know that if your cement mix is not the proper mixture, that's not going to stay for too long? It may last a year, may last six months, but you're going to see cracks all through that foundation pretty quickly if you don't mix that material right. And the problem is for us as believers is God is saying, listen, get rid of the unhealthy, ungodly mixture. Let me found, uh, like build up in you that foundation that is strong, that is immovable, that is secure. And when I do that, you're, you don't have nothing to be ashamed of. You'll never be disgraced because God's going to be getting your back. The apostles were his disciples. They spent three and a half years following Jesus. They perfected our mission statement, which is live like Jesus, love like Jesus. Why? Because they lived with him. They taught a Jesus-centered life. Why? Because they knew there was nothing else. How do they know? Because they lived a part of their life without Christ, and they lived a portion with it. And they realized there's no comparison. There's no comparison. They taught that Jesus was the only way to true life transformation. There was no self-help book that could bring you to that. There was no 12-step program. There was nothing. It was Jesus. They taught and lived the value of community called church. What a great concept. They inspired people to live the Jesus mission. What was that? The gospel. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? Good news. I don't know about you, but if someone comes to you and says, do you want to have a relationship with God and, and be transformed for the rest of your life into this incredible person that God has always destined and drawn you to be, and at the end of it, you get to live with him forever. I don't know about you. That's good news. All three of you thought that was good news. That was awesome. Why? Because God loves you. But it's interesting here that the apostles and the prophets were not enough of a foundation. They needed someone else. They needed a cornerstone. Jesus was the cornerstone. It's interesting, even in, in contracting uh, terminology, a cornerstone is always called a foundation stone. That's what it's called. The foundation stone or the cornerstone is always the first stone to be laid in the building process. The rest of the building literally revolves around the cornerstone. Everything is aligned to that cornerstone. It is usually the largest and most significant solid rock that they have. And if the builder keeps an eye on the cornerstone, it will give them a reference point to keep the walls in alignment and to keep everything else in alignment. Kind of sounds like Christ. He is our reference point. Why? Because he is solid. He is immovable. He is unchangeable. Do you believe that this morning? 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, it says this. Because of God's great grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder, like a master builder, like Emmett. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already, uh, that we already have, Jesus Christ. For Lego, they build on something called base plates. Makes it much easier to build anything. And Legos, the whole concept is that they build from the foundation, they build from the base plate, but they can build together, they can interconnect. But Paul warns us here, be careful how you build. Josiah and I learned this when we were at Legoland. We, we saw this one game, it was, uh, it was called Earthquake Tower. I know I referenced it briefly last week. But this Earthquake Tower, the entire goal was to take either Duplo or to take Lego and to build a tall tower, as tall a tower as you can, 
and then you push the button, and earthquake tower starts happening, and the entire earthquake literally causes the whole foundation of that building to start to shake. And you'll find out very quickly whether you're building and how you built it. Uh, you know, in some ways, we needed you, Richard. You're the engineer. You could have showed us how to do it right. But because Richard wasn't there, many of the buildings were going down very quickly because the foundation wasn't strong. It wasn't stable. It wasn't secure. Can I say this? Why is Paul warning us to be careful how you build? Why is he saying, be careful how you build? Be careful who you build your life upon. Why is he warning you that? Well, it's very simple. Do you know that everything you do right now and everything you've done up to this point is leaving a legacy? So the question I have for you is, is it the legacy you want to leave? Now, the cool thing with God is that if the legacy you've left up to this point is not very good as, a, as a, you know, a person that has experienced great grace and mercy in my life. I can tell you, man, he loves you. You know what? And he can take you, no matter how many bad seeds are in your ground called life, he can get rid of them, and he can start planting new seeds in your life. But it has to start with a decision. Who is your foundation? You say, well, I'm, I'm good enough in myself. I've figured it all out. I, I'm good. I can take care of my life. And my response to you is the same response that someone gave to me 17 years ago, or eight, actually no longer than that now, I mean, 19 years ago this, this summer. They said this to me. It says, you can be as good as you want to be, but it still doesn't change the fact that you still are changeable. Something can change today, and it will change you. Because the circumstance changes. And you can say, I've got it all together and I've got it all figured out and my emotions are in check and, and I'm good and I know what I'm doing. That's one step away from disaster. Because the reality is, is you really don't know what you're doing. You're trying to figure out life just like the rest of us. And some of us are better at figuring out our life than the rest of us. So it looks like they have it all together. But I have news for you, they don't. You can be crowned prom king and you still don't have it all together I'm sorry if I just burst your bubble because there's only one foundation that's secure there's only one foundation that's unchangeable it's Jesus Christ the son of God the lamb of God the one who takes away the very sins of the world the one that became the chief cornerstone for the building pattern of your life if you let him I say, I have news for you. I know there's some people in this room right now that have never made that choice, and that's, that's okay. You have an opportunity today. Some of you said, I've made that choice. But as you started building on the cornerstone, you came up with some other pieces that you actually liked better. And you put them into your building thinking, hey, this is going to look good too. I got to say, no, that's not how it works. Either I'm the master builder or you are. We can't both sit on the same chair because you don't want God or you one cheeking it. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you may fall off, or he will put him on the throne of your life. Honestly, believe this is a foundational moment for you today. You're not here by accident. This is a foundational moment for you today. I want to read a verse. It's in the Old Testament. It's a prophet Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Most of the messianic prophecies that, that talked about Jesus Christ, a number of, literally hundreds of years later, came from Isaiah. Most of them did. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, 
Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, Jesus. A firm and tested stone, Jesus. It is a precious cornerstone, Jesus, that is safe. Hmm. That is safe. How in the world can you have this picture of strength and this picture of safety in the same sentence. Usually when we see people as strong, we don't see them necessarily as this warm, cuddly, teddy bear type person, right? That's why I love Jeff. I know Jeff's away right now helping his brother, but if you ever get to know Jeff, Jeff is this tank of a man that's the most gentle guy you'll ever meet. He's a teddy bear. How do I know? Because I taught him everything I know. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If anything, he's teaching me. It's awesome. I want to read the, the, uh, another version, the CEV version. It says this. And so the Lord says, I'm laying a firm foundation for the city of Zion. It's a valuable cornerstone proven to be trustworthy. No one who trusts it will ever be disappointed. Ah, oh, Jesus is awesome. He's immovable. He's unchangeable. He's everything. It's a story, a story actually that came out of World War, uh, not World War II, uh, came out of the Vietnam War. And there's a, a gentleman, for those that were in my last one-on-one class, just smile and, and uh, act like you've never heard this story, okay? It's just too good to pass up. So there's a story of this, of this father who literally had created a collection over about a 40-year period of some of the greatest portraits and paintings that have ever been collected Everything from Rembrandt to Van Gogh and everything in between. I mean, just everything you can possibly think of from a variety of different periods of time. These paintings were worth millions. He had a house that had massive security systems on it because of the, of the worth of the paintings alone that was in his house. And his son was a, you know, an amateur painter. He loved to paint. And one day he got drafted into the army and he went over to Vietnam. And he was there for a couple of years. But while he was there... Um, there was a moment that happened where there was a guy that was, that was hit in the leg. His son, the father's son, saw him cornered in this one spot and he wanted to rescue his life. So he took off to run into the battle, grabbed this guy, carried him helicopter style over his shoulders and got him out of there as fast as he could. The moment he got back to the, to the, kind of the encampment, he put the guy down and as he put him down, he got shot through the back and he died. The son died, saving this kid's life. Well, news got back to the father. The father was devastated. The father was devastated. Everything about his life was wrapped up in his son. He could describe the details of his son's life, the details of his facial features and everything. He loved his son so much. A number of months went by. The Vietnam War had ended, and there's this knock on his front door. And this guy in uniform uh, is at the front door with a large package all wrapped up. And he looked at the father and says, you don't know who I am. And we've never met. But my name is such and such. I'm Sergeant so-and-so. I'm in the U.S. Army. And your son saved my life. He gave up his life to save mine. And I heard all the stories from your son when we were overseas about all these paintings and all these things that you did and all these amazing things that, that you've had in your, in your house, all these different paintings. It's incredible. He says, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur painter. I'm not very good. Um, but if you don't mind, I, I did one painting while I was in Vietnam that I would like to give to you. 
And he opens up the painting, and it's a portrait of his son. Features were detailed. His eyes were just like his son's eyes. And he took it, and he came into his living room. He showed this, this, this sergeant around his home, showed him all the paintings, and he went to this most special place for himself, which was his, his mantle, his fireplace, and he took down a Rembrandt worth millions, took it off, put it in another place, and he put up the picture of his son right over the mantle, his favorite spot. A number of months went by, and this father ended up dying of a broken heart. He had no way to deal with the, de- the despair and the discouragement of losing his son, his one and only son. So next came what everyone was hoping for, which was a, an auction for all of his paintings. And so literally hundreds of people packed into this auction room where people were ready to start to vote and to bid on a Rembrandt and a Picasso and a Van Gogh and all of these different things. And it's interesting enough, the auctioneer got up on stage and he says, okay, everyone, we can just get everyone to quiet now. We're going to start with our auction and we're going to start with um, this piece right here. And, and up on the, the display on stage was the picture of the sun. Done by an amateur. Quite obviously not compared, uh, comparable in any way to any other painting that he had. And so he said, I'd like to start the bidding. Does anyone like to start off with the bidding? Nobody raised their hand. He said, can someone start $100? $100 for this painting. A painting of the sun. $100. Can somebody take this? Nothing. $50 for the painting of the sun. Anybody? Nothing. This went on for about 10 minutes, and then people in the room were starting to get frustrated and getting annoyed at the fact that, come on, we just want to see the Rembrandts. Let's get to the, let's get to the Picassos. Let's get to the Van Goghs. Let's, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the sun. That's an amateur painting. Why in the world would I care about that? Let's get to the real stuff. Long story short, he kept going, he kept going. It went on for about 20 minutes. No one would budge. And he says, would somebody at least give $10 for the picture of the sun? And at that time, as just as he got to that $10 mark, there was an elderly gentleman that had walked in the back of the room. And he put up his hand and he says, I'll take the son. So he looked over and said, does anyone know who that guy is? He says, oh yeah, he was the neighbor from three streets down. His son grew up with that boy. And it would be a great reminder for him of a better time in his life. So he put up his hand. He walked up. He handed his $5 in and he took the picture of the son. And just as he did it, everyone was looking at each other going, saying, finally we get to the real deal here. Finally it's about time we got to the real thing. And just as he did, did that, the auctioneer puts the gavel down and walked off stage. And they're all looking at him like, what in the world is going on? He waited about five minutes, waited for the frustration to, to kind of linger and then kind of peter off. And he walked back up on stage. And he said, uh, I would like to read to you a stipulation that was put in the will of the Father. That whoever took the son gets everything. Whoever takes the son gets everything. Just take the son today. Take Jesus. Because if you take him, you get everything. Nothing missing. Nothing broken in your life. Never ashamed, never disgraced, because when you take the son, you take everything. Jesus is the only immovable Stable, strong, 
absolutely unshakable, unchangeable person that you can build anything on in your life. Nothing else matters. Take the sun. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.